The Phileas Club is entirely financed by Patreon at patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. The link is in the show notes. And of course, that's the only way to support the show. We don't have sponsors, we don't have third parties, and we stay entirely independent thanks to the audience, to the listeners that decide the show is worth something and go to the site and support it with real money. So thanks a million, as always, to those of you who choose to do that and on with the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is episode 122. It's a follow-up on an episode we did back in 2017 about the situation in Venezuela. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phileas Club. In this show, what we do is that we get people from different parts of the world to discuss the news from around the world. And so the idea is that you will get opinions and and uh, uh, angles from people with different cultures and backgrounds and that's what we usually do but as you know we try to do a special episode almost every month and on those episodes we cover one specific topic and we talk to one specific person uh, hopefully having them help us understand what's happening in a, a region of the world or uh, about a certain ideology and things like that uh, today we're going to be talking it's kind of a follow-up uh, to an episode we did about a year and a half ago about uh, Venezuela. It was episode number 94, and uh, we spoke at that point with uh, Saul, Saul Gonzalez, who is uh, kind enough to be coming back on the show. So the first thing to do is probably to introduce and thank Saul for uh, being on the show again. Hey, how are you doing, Saul? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for, for having me over again, Patrick. I'm very glad that you're, uh, you, you agreed to be back on the show because the, the situation in Venezuela uh, seems to be changing quite a bit. And you helped, me, uh, you helped me, and I hope the audience understand it last time. And I can't believe it's been a year and a half, um, almost. I guess a, a, a year out of that was me uh, reeling from the birth of uh, our first child, <laughs> which <laughs> means it disappeared into a black hole of uh, timelessness. Uh, so it's really only been four months. I guess that makes more more sense in my time scale. Uh, but jokes aside, it was a really interesting episode, and I would encourage uh, the audience to go listen to it if they haven't already. It was episode 94 once again. Uh, but you, I, I will uh, ask you to uh, summarize a little bit of what's been happening up uh, uh, until now in the country because uh, first of all honestly I don't really understand most of it I've heard I, I'll tell you what I've heard uh, and I, I know that the situation is very difficult uh, but it would be helpful for you to summarize all of this uh, but before we do that I, I'm curious how you're doing and if you can uh, maybe introduce yourself to the audience uh, where you are, uh, what's your relationship to Venezuela and all of that. Okay. Yes. So I am a Venezuelan, born and raised in uh, Venezuela. I spent most of my life there, uh, live uh, abroad for about six years doing uh, uh, graduate studies. But I went back to Venezuela in 2012, uh, which was around the time Maduro got to power and the, and the country situation went from bad to worse. And we started to have mass migration or even a refugee crisis 
around 2016-17 and that was around the time I myself had to leave the country with my wife. Uh, so me and my wife have been living in Colombia for, for the past year and a half. And how has that been going? Have you managed, uh, I guess, two <laughs> questions. First, are there many people who have been forced to do that? And second, how are you uh, getting on? Because, because it's been now a year and a half. Uh, are you managing to, uh, have you found a job? Like you're essentially a refugee kind of, I guess. Uh, how is the situation going? Yeah, well, the situation is is very complicated, and and lots of lots of people have have had to leave Venezuela. This is probably like the the second biggest refugee crisis in the world, or second only to Syria. Over 10% of the population of Venezuela, that's over three million people, have have left Venezuela in the past five years. If you go to most countries in Latin America, you will find a lot of Venezuelans there now. And as with any refugee crisis, well, there's all kinds of stories. There are some people who, who managed to migrate in a relatively ordered way. Others who, you know, just had to flee uh, the country on foot, you know, uh, with, with no possessions at all in, 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 a, in a state of destitute poverty. Mm. So, so that's, a, you know, it's, it's all over the place. But especially in Colombia, which is uh, where I'm right now, it's right next to Venezuela. It's the first stop for lots of people. So Colombia is the one that's uh, is the one country that's feeling most of the impacts of the refugee crisis. Mm. For over a million Venezuelans are are now in Colombia, and many of them are are exactly that refugees, which need a lot of of support uh, and help from the state or from the or from the public, uh, because they're in a very bad situation. They they they're diseased. They don't have enough to eat, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Um, okay, so I guess we'll get back to that at some point. But mm. for now, uh, for a quick refresher for the people who haven't followed the original episode or who don't really know what the situation is, uh, yeah, I guess can you fill us? Uh, uh, can you tell us about the situation up until I guess the current crisis, which is uh, Juan Guaido uh, versus uh, Nicolas Maduro? Okay, yes. Yeah, so I, I wanted to give a, a, a quick recap to to how we how we got here because uh, some of it is, is relevant. So maybe like uh, no more than two three minutes. Uh, it's okay. So, we have time. Okay, great. So so recap in Venezuela at the at the turn of the century, 1999, uh, Hugo Chavez becomes president. Uh, he he's a political outsider. He is a military has a military background. Uh, tried uh, led a, a coup d'état attempt against the government in 1992, uh, but the the government became that government became unpopular. So on the other hand, Chavez as a figure became popular, and he capitalized on that, ran for president and won, and became president in 1999. And in the very first in the first years, he was very popular, and he used that popularity to basically take over. Uh, the Venezuelan state, uh, not only the executive power, but also like fill uh, Congress with supporters, fill the Supreme Court with supporters, uh, also the electoral board, uh, the the main oil company, 
uh, he used that popularity to to really, like I mentioned, uh, control pretty much every part of the of the Venezuelan state. Um, there are, yes. I'll interrupt you here for a second because I want to ask you a, a specific questions. Um, yes. We have, especially in France, but I think uh, across the world, some people who defend uh, the 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 that uh, political party and. Maduro today being the the kind of heir uh, yes. of the party, and who kind of dismiss claims of uh, dictatorship, or maybe that's a little bit extreme, but at least uh, uh, a regime that is not entirely democratic. Um, what would you say to those people? Because we have a lot of people who don't know about the the, the actual Venezuelan uh, situation and who hold up the, this example, the example of, of Chavez, as, you know, the people uh, winning over uh, the the ruling elites and, and kind of an ideal, almost not communist, but at least uh, uh, socialist slash democratic um, uh, movement. Is that a fair way to represent it, at least at the beginning, or do you not see it like that at all? Okay, I, I think at the beginning, it, it, that, that was the promise. As, as I mentioned, he won the first election fair and square. He was very popular. And, and indeed, I mean, what he did at the beginning was, you know, uh, politically smart, but at the very beginning, legal which is, okay, you know, I'm a very popular politician, so I'm going to run elections and I'm going to fill my candidates. And since I'm popular, my candidates win. And, you know, at the beginning, you know, he, he that was his state purpose, which is mm. we need to, you know, the, the, the state is corrupt, the elites are, are ruling, you know, whether you agree with that or not, that was his, his message. And he says he was going to improve things and uh, like um, uh, basically destroy uh, corruption. So, so he brought uh, what he called a revolution, and his policies were, as you mentioned, socialist, which is the 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 state takes control of a lot of things, and uh, he he's a big spender. I mean, social spending increased a lot, which was a, a very popular policy. But also, Chavez was very lucky in the sense that just as he gained power, oil prices uh, rose. Uh, incredibly, I mean, we uh, we saw a race like over five times uh, that was previously oil prices. So people in Venezuela could see a change from the previous government to his government. He was very big on empowering people. He was very big on uh, on on social spending, and and indeed, uh, poor people in Venezuela saw an increase on on the quality of life. And that was was most evident to to people from the outside of Venezuela. So I I could understand that people who are only seeing that having mm. this view of Chavez. But on the inside, this this is not the, the the only way to look at it because as as he was doing that, as I mentioned, he was also increasing his political power, basically trying to dismantle checks and balances, and also uh, uh, his policies were good in the short term, but as we will see, they were not really sustainable. So, mm. so it was again, like good in the short term and good if oil prices are through the roof, but not sustainable uh, for, for more than five or 10 years. All right. So please keep going. You were saying that uh, <laughs> you were at Chavez gaining power. Yes. 
So I mentioned Chavez gains power and slowly, like bit by bit, takes over uh, the state. And around 2002, like three or four years after he gains power, he starts to become more of a deficit figure because he starts to become more authoritarian, more uh, more open about not wanting there to be any opposition, more open about having a view that either you're with us, you're with the revolution, or you are against us, and you're part of the extreme right, or you're part of the US and CIA-backed uh, coup attempts that want to destabilize this wonderful revolution. So he starts to really polarize the country uh, in, in a way. And again, this, he goes from becoming very popular to... to uh, having a country that's maybe half with him, but half against him. Mm. Uh, and something important about taking over the state is that he now has control of the electoral board. So from now on, uh, all all electoral events become lopsided. Uh, he starts to putting his, his hand on the scale using the control he has as the state to make it harder for opposition politicians to, to win any kind of election and easier for his supporters uh, to win an election. So at this moment, it's not impossible for an opposition politician to to, to run in an election, but it's, it starts to become more and more uphill. So we're in the middle of the 2000s, I guess. Uh, and yes. And we're kind of in a uh, maybe dictatorial, but definitely not democratic uh, situation anymore. Yes, exactly. That's the case. And mm. in the terms of economic policy, what you mentioned as, as socialism. So he starts to nationalize everything, pretty much every sector of, of the economy. He, I don't know if this is a war in England, he expropriates. Mm -hmm. uh, he uses you know, the power of the state to say, okay, this is a private company, but now it's, it's public. So he starts to control every aspect of the economy. He sets price controls. He sets currency exchange controls. And this is all incredibly inefficient. And the only way this this uh, doesn't collapse immediately is because of uh, very high income from oil. And also the Chavez government starts borrowing incredibly. And mm. basically Venezuela was the only oil producing nation that was also borrowing because all other, you know, oil producing nations, they were raking in money, <laughs> you know, from, from oil profits. Mm. But Venezuela was the only one that felt uh, a need to, to borrow, to borrow that much, even with yeah. their, you know, we're already making that much money from, from oil. Uh, so again, the, the economy becomes a, a completely state-controlled economy, and the only thing that's sustaining the economy is oil money that has to go through Chavez. So this is also a way uh, for Chavez to be, you know, the pillar of the economy, and all the economy depends well, on him. When you say the oil money that has to go to Chavez, you mean that it all goes through the government and the government then redistributes it? Or is it more personal? Yes. Okay. No, no I, I mean, uh, going, uh, going through the government. In, in Venezuela, mm. uh, the, and this is, you know, from many years ago, uh, over 50 years ago, the, the states holds uh, the monopoly on oil exploitation. Uh, so, so yes, like oil, oil exports go exclusively through the state. Uh, and yes, then the states redistributes this. Mm. Due to corruption, then a lot of this money also goes to, to Chavez and Chavez officials. But at the moment, there's enough money to, to you know, go back to, to, to private pockets and also, you know, basically fund, fund the whole nation. <laughs> mm. I see. Um, so when are we at this point? 
Uh, like essential, like like uh, basically the the two thousands, the first decade of of the century, and this was like the situation until two thousand thirteen. Okay. Uh, which is when uh, because Chavez died, then Maduro uh, runs for uh, for office as as Chavez's successor. Mm. And something important to mention here is that uh, it was a very close election. Uh, it was contested because, like I mentioned before, for for several years now, the the state has has his his uh, has his uh, his finger on the scale. So the election was contested. The the opposition candidate that ran at the time uh, did not recognize the results. Uh, said that there was fraud, and again, like about half the people in Venezuela also believed that that vote for him believed that there was fraud, but. Ultimately, he was not the opposition candidate. Was not able to to further his claim. Uh, it was not recognized uh, internationally. So, ultimately, the one that became ultimately recognized was Maduro in 2013. Okay, so that was 2013. We're getting closer to uh, hmm. the moment when we recorded the episode. At that point, things were still, I wouldn't say stable, but. Uh, they were kind of working. Uh, were oil prices supporting the country still? Okay, just uh, up to that point, uh, just like Chavez was unlucky, Maduro was, in a sense, you will say unlucky, because that was the time that oil prices, quote-unquote, collapsed. Mm. And I say collapsed because, you know, probably we had a, a, a oil price went to about, what, uh, about half what they were. We were, like, in the hundreds. Mm. Uh, $100 a barrel to $50 uh, a barrel. So it was a huge, a huge blow to the Maduro regime. But still, this is much historically much higher to, to oil prices in the 80s and, and the 90s. And, and most other oil producing countries had, you know, had prepared for, for this scenario. Uh, but Venezuela hadn't. And, and basically, two things happened. So oil prices went down where where for for this whole socialist economic policy to be sustainable they needed price to go even higher but mm. that didn't happen and also like all all the debt that the chavez you know borrowed uh, a decade ago started to become due mm. so so the government was in a, in a double bind uh, which is th they have no income from oil and they also have to to pay uh, to pay debt but Instead of you know changing their any uh, changing the economic policies, they basically started to double down on them and try to institute even more price controls, trying to make the country even more dependent on of, on imports. Uh, by now, all these all these industries that Chavez had nationalized, they they became basically non-functional because you know they were staffed with cronies, they were staffed with People who, for uh, for for which the main criteria for selection was loyalty to the revolution, loyalty to Chavez, and not, uh, you know, competence. Mm. <laughs> uh, so basically, Venezuela became a country where nothing was ever produced internally. Uh, so so yes, the whole economy uh, was depending on oil. So when oil price went down and we had terrible economic policies, this started to really impact the the economy and the livelihood livelihood of the people. So okay. we're starting to see a collapse in salaries. We start to see a lack of medicine. We start to see uh, a lack of, of food. Uh, 
in general. So things start, you know, we go from a country that, you know, is, it has its own problems and maybe has like a, 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 a polarizing government that some people say is starting to be authoritarian to a country where now a humanitarian crisis is brewing and, and people are starting, having, starting to have a, a really hard time making, making ends meet. And that's when Maduro was already uh, in power, correct? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. This is when Maduro is in power. And in 2014, as a result of this, we started to see like mass demonstrations, popular protests against the government. And this also when Maduro responds with, a, with an iron fist. So again, before like Chavez, I said like was authoritarian, but Maduro really like took it to another level. And he started to mass arrest people. He started to have uh, like uh, opening fire into protesters. So in 2014, we have uh, popular protests for about three months, and over a hundred people were killed by Maduro forces, or hundreds of people were were imprisoned. Uh, so this is also uh, the point where people start unambiguously calling calling Maduro a dictator. Okay, and that's is that when uh, the inflation, the incredible inflation, starts? Yes, uh, we start to see pretty big inflation, but and and of course this is devastating to to you know people people's salary, uh, but uh, but it's only the prelude. I think like we start seeing hyperinflation is a few years later, mm. like in 2017 or thing, basically around the time we did the. The previous episode. So, so at the moment, inflation is bad, pretty bad, but not hyperinflation yet. Okay. All right. So, in a few words, what happens between uh, 2000, 2013 and 2017 when we last spoke? Okay. So, after that, the, the next important milestone is 2015, because in 2015, a new Congress is elected. Uh, and at this point, maybe because of of miscal miscalculation by Maduro, he he thought he retained more popularity than he did. Uh, the the opposition to Maduro, the democratic forces, are able to basically win a supermajority in in Congress, and mm. and this was a, a, a big upset. Uh, but what Maduro does is that he immediately begins to to undermine this this Congress. Uh, He basically refused to recognize the, the authority of, of Congress. He says that he, he has the court declared that a few of the of the elections were 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 rigged, were stolen by, by the opposition <laughs> politicians with no proof whatsoever. So based on this, he refused to recognize them and refused to recognize the whole of Congress. Uh, so he he uses the, the lame duck session. Uh, to to staff to stack the Supreme Court with even more loyalists than before, and basically starts to to override Congress by force. So mm. this point is again like the start of, of what we call a constitutional crisis uh, in Venezuela, in the sense that now Maduro is not only like uh, ruling with an iron fist. And, and, and punishing demonstrations heavily, but also he is like openly contradicting the, the Venezuelan constitution. And especially like, for example, the Venezuelan constitution is clear, very clear about things like if the government wants to issue, issue new debt, 
uh, they have to go through Congress, and he decided to he's going to just ignore that and, and issue new debt, you know, without paying any any attention to to mm. Congress. And and basically, like not 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 openly just yet, but basically trying to to dissolve Congress or strip Congress of its power because he doesn't control it anymore. You know, it's really incredible that we're when you describe it, and I remember thinking this <laughs> last time that we still have people, uh, you know, some people supporting that government. Is there, uh, I mean, first of all, how <laughs> do you look at this? And second, is there an argument to be made that this is the the people fighting against the, uh, you know, the, the empire of the, the Americans that try to control everything? Or because there's a lot of that in the, I don't know, it's kind of mind-blowing that speaking you know the, the the description which seems quite verifiable you know it's not like this is yes. subject to a lot of interpretation um that 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 people come to the conclusion that oh he's a nice guy and he's just misunderstood <laughs> kind of okay yes i think there, there are two reasons for this and, and to be honest uh, I mean, I, I know what you're talking about, and as a Venezuelan, this is very frustrating <laughs> mm. uh, to to see people on on the international state defend defend uh, the regime. And I think it's it's due to to two reasons. I mean, in part, I think uh, a lot of people have egalitarian ideals, or a lot of people, you know, they have left wing politics. And from afar, at the beginning, the Chavez project seem like like an awesome project like oh there's this great guy who is using socialism to bring forward their country and especially you know if, if if you are the kind of person who for example doesn't like the us very much so uh, uh, so the fact that chavez is like opposing the us and trying to build like a multipolar world these are these are all great ideas on paper <laughs> to you but so when confronted with the reality that this was pretty much all a facade, and in the end, Chavez is just one more dictator. Uh, people, some people have a hard time understanding that. Mm. Uh, I mean, either, either honestly, I mean, they, they, they I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's so shocking, or it's, it's so in, conf in conflict with their internal values that they, they want to look the other way, or they don't want to believe it. That's, that's, uh, you, you know, like the naive interpretation. Of course, there are also some that they want to, you know, just want to deny the truth. And mm. and you know they want you know to promote socialism at all costs, or they think like all left all left wing governments are good, all right wing go governments are bad. They want to either believe or promote that that uh, that idea, so they just you know gloss over the facts <laughs> and and, mm. and try to promote the, the idea that the Maduro government is good. So you know it's yes. it, it's uh it's really frustrating to me because from. 90% of the world, I am a socialist, you know, and mm. socialist not in the communist sense. I'm, mm. I live in France. I'm very happy with 90% of the situation in France. I believe in uh, unemployment benefits and free education and healthcare. I believe in all of those things. And to me, this is modern socialism, you know, or maybe you mm. want to call it social democracy, but even the, the, mm. some of the people would disagree with that. Um, and I consider myself to be on the left wing of the stage of the world. And I think mm. a lot of people in France would not look at it like that because they only see France. But mm. even with this, 
looking at that situation, <laughs> I don't see how you could consider that, oh, it's defending the the leftist <laughs> ideals. But anyway, okay, let's not spend too much time on that. Um, okay. No, but I, I, the discussion is something that's important to me as well. And I, I see your point and I come to it, I guess, from, from, the, from the opposite side, which is, to me, socialism and for most of, of, of Latin America, socialism is the project of Hugo Chavez. He named it 21st century socialism. Mm. And it was a project not only in Venezuela, but he engaged in, in a lot of interventionism. And since he had lots of money, he funded pretty like left-wing candidates all over Latin America during the, the, the 2000s. So he had lots of allies in the, in the region. Uh, and, and again, like, like 21st century socialism was a continental project. But in most of these other countries, they tried to replicate what Chavez did. But thankfully, they were not successful. I mean, they had ter most of them that had terrible policies, but they did not manage to to take over the state. Mm. So, so again, like most people uh, were able to to push him out, uh, push push those governments out, and now we have a wave of quote unquote right wing governments in Latin America. But again, most of these countries in Latin America they're considered right wing, but probably. Uh, in 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 other parts of the world, they use centrist or 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 even center left because you know Latin America is a region that has you know like pretty progressive policies policies in in general. So even most of these right wing you know uh, governments, they have a lot of social spending. They try to promote like access to quality healthcare for for everyone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So one thing I want to say is that labels like right wing and left wing, a lot of times are are misleading. Mm. Uh, and also talking about the word socialism, I believe. I mean, again, in Latin America, if you say socialism, people are going to think about Chavez. There's there's no way around that. Right. So. A word that basically encompasses both Chavez and France and Norway and Cuba. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's kind of useless. <laughs> I, th I right. think we need to find new words. So, for example, I, I prefer words like progressive yeah. or I prefer words to like the welfare state. If we're talking, for example, of, of, of Norway, I think these are much better words uh, to, to refer to to ideologies. If someone right. says socialism, I, I'm going to be, you know, skeptical to, to begin with, you know, it, either fairly or, or unfairly. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> a, a quick question. Uh, when you're talking about those governments that are, you know, right wing, but really, if you can, you know, it doesn't fit the image that some people have of right wing. I'm guessing mm. you're not talking about Bolsonaro in Brazil. We recently did a, an episode of on, on Brazil. Um, and things seem to be, I mean, he's a character closer to mm. Donald Trump. I'm guessing that's not part of your, um, you know, maybe it's a reaction to what happened. I, I don't mm. know what I'm talking about, but what do you think of that situation? In, in two words, we don't want to <laughs> spend too much time on that. Uh, I mean, no, yeah, Bolsonaro is extreme right wing, even for mm. by Latin American standards. So when I mentioned this government, I think the Colombian government, uh, which has been consistently been right wing, or or even the recent uh, government of Macri in in Argentina, uh, I think are are better examples. So, for example, to say Colombia, Colombia is again quote unquote right wing, but but uh, he has 
pretty progressive policies, really okay. uh, like, you know, uh, progressive taxation, uh, lots of social spending. So, so it, I think it's, it's, it's a good, it's a, it's a good template to, okay. to think about what a, a quote unquote right wing government looks like in, in Latin America. Okay. Um, all right. So the, the situation in, in, um, 2017, roughly hyperinflation, <laughs> mass, uh, emigration, and what we talked about on that show, you personally leave the country you have to flee the country, actually. Maybe you want to give us a little bit more detail on the context there, and then we can talk about what's happened since. Yes. Uh, so basically, what, what happened in, in 2017 is, is very relevant because we have another round of mass protests, and this was triggered by the fact that Maduro decided to, you know, you just like completely take off his mask and having Congress around uh was you know like too too much of a of a, a hassle of a nuisance mm. yeah ha a hassle so he didn't dissolve it but he had the supreme court issue a ruling that says that congress is null and from now on the supreme court will take over all the duties of congress and you know this was a play to to try to give himself a veneer of of legality uh especially when it came to to you know needing to issue new debt to fund the, the regime. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, but, I have to interrupt you again. Yes. He basically said, well, Congress doesn't matter. Goodbye, thank yes, you. Basically, he said that. <laughs> how, how can anyone look at the situation in that country and say they are the democracy that stands against the tyranny of capitalism? You know, how is it? Well. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I just, I don't get it. Keep going. Okay. Well, that's, that's important. Also, something I wanted to mention before, but I forgot, is that the Venezuelan government or the Venezuelan regime or the Maduro regime is very, very good at information warfare. And something that's also important, he, he has his advisors or, well, we'll go into that later, but he is constantly advised by the Cuban government, which is also pretty good uh, at this. And also he has close ties to the Russian government. So the, the Maduro regime is, is very good at, at trying to manipulate public opinion, opinion internationally and, you know, send out fake information or send out confusion information to basically create exactly what you're saying, like trying to play this mm. up as, as, you know, we, you know, the people are fighting against U.S. imperialism and everyone that opposes Maduro is, again, like a U.S. supporter or a Trump supporter or backed by the CIA or even, you know, playing up like racial tensions, like saying, oh, because Venezuela in the past was ruled, you know, by all white people and uh, all the brown poor people were oppressed. But since now the Chavez government has given them a voice that the white people are pushing back. And, and this, you know, in the context of Venezuela is, is completely ridiculous. I mean, you could make the case that this could be a, a, a plausible description of maybe some other countries, but in Venezuela, everyone is pretty much mixed race. So so he makes, you know, the, the, the Maduro regime puts out this, this buzz of propaganda that are very well designed to resonate with people outside mm. of Venezuela. But that, you know, are, are you know, as you mentioned, if, if people go to the trouble of very fine, then then, you know, they can see this is all a facade. This is all a lie. 
But the truth is, you know, most people in other countries don't don't go to the trouble of verifying. You know, Venezuela is some far off country that they don't know much about. So these kinds of propaganda turn out to be effective. <laughs> yeah, I I can understand for regular citizens, regular people, but it's it's the narrative that's been defended by uh, political uh, uh, party leaders, <laughs> uh, and, and that is what is more troublesome. Anyway, Indeed. all right. Hmm. Keep going. Okay. Okay. So, so again, like Maduro strips Congress of his powers, basically. And this was, uh, you know, this was so, so extreme uh, that, you know, uh, this is when we start talking about, you know, we were talking about Maduro as a dictator, but now there's, you know, a, a new word for it, which is called the interruption of the constitutional order, which is a, a, a fancy way to say that this kind of a self-inflicted coup in the sense that it's even... Now more clear that uh, you know Maduro is basically he, he already held the presidency. He he is even if you recognize that he won an election, now he's you know t- taking over power by force, mm. and this led to of course international condemnation, but also internal condemnation, and even a few people from the Maduro party at this moment you know they 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 break relationship with the party and say, you know, this is too much. It is clearly going into a dictatorship. I'm not going to be a, a parent of this. So basically they, they jump ship. And and also uh, we see like popular condemnation in Venezuela, again, mass protests, which are again uh, repressed with, with an with an iron fist. And again, and you know, this this is sad to, to talk about in, in such a matter of fact way. But again, we see uh, tens of people killed by by the Maduro regime in the context of the of the protest, uh, but also something that's very important here is that in order to try to sidestep this, Maduro creates a parallel congress, uh, which he calls a constituent assembly because this is an assembly that their their purpose is to draft a new constitution. And something that's very important to Maduro is that he says that this assembly will be uh, supra-constitutional. It means it has powers, even more power, to, uh, you know, on top of the constitution. So if the, if the constituent assembly says something, and even if it contradicts the constitution, this constituent assembly should, you know, should, should, should prevail. Should prevail. Should prevail, yeah. And... That's, that's very handy. I... I... <laughs> <laughs> Don't yes, even try uh, to get the, to change the constitution. Just say those people they they decide and they're okay. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> useful. Uh, yes, it, 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 uh, yeah, that was that was uh, his mindset. Uh, but in in this case, Maduro decided. You know, uh, I said before that he had uh, he had his hand on the scale or his finger on the scale, but this time he decided to completely do away with the scale. And and these relations were a complete sham. Uh, they were a sham to the point that the the company that makes the software for for the voting machines, after the results for the constituent assembly election were were announced, they held a press conference saying that they could not vouch for the veracity of the results. <laughs> which you know has a fancy way to say you know Maduro is just making numbers up. <laughs> mm. Uh, so, so this is important because elections, again, until maybe 2016, they were unfair. 
but you could say that they were kind of representative of, of at least some part of the will of the people. But from this point on, you know, Maduro, every time Maduro holds an election, he's just making up numbers. <laughs> right. <laughs> and something also important that happens in, in 2017 is that uh, some international sanctions begin to be imposed on the regime, but it's important to be specific uh, because at the beginning, these sanctions are on specific members of the regime. I mean, like the vice president, uh, Maduro ministers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They begin to be slapped with personal international sanctions, which say, you know, they cannot, for example, travel to the US or they cannot, you know, uh, buy or, or sell assets uh, internationally and and you know the, the reason this starts to happen is because these people you know start to be widely seen as responsible for human rights violations on one hand but also on the other hand to to try to put pressure on them to negotiate and and say you know you have to recognize congress you have to go back to to being a, a democracy so these personal sanctions uh, are, are a way to try to put pressure on them and the reason this is important is because from this point on, since the very first sanction, Maduro starts, you know, uh, the engaging in information warfare and saying that the crisis in Venezuela, the humanitarian crisis, the, the, lack of, the lack of food, the lack of medicine is because of sanctions imposed on mm. the country. And of course, you know, again, if, if you verify it, this makes no sense because, again, like the, the humanitarian crisis in the country began earlier, like a few years earlier. Uh, so, and these, you know, sanctions, they, they don't travel through time, they're not gravity, <laughs> they could not have a retroactive <laughs> effect. And, and number two, there were personal sanctions. So, they are not sanctions on the Venezuelan economy, they are not sanctions on oil. So, there's no plausible way. That, that they could have affected the, the Venezuelan economy. So even now, Maduro keeps saying, oh, uh, it's all because of U.S. sanctions and the U.S. blockade. And, you know, this has absolutely no basis on, on Twitter. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so where are we now? Uh, it, it is we're in... in, in uh, humanitarian crisis. I guess hyperinflation is here. Uh, yes. International sanctions... That's when we discussed things last time, correct? Exactly. Okay. Yes, that's where that's where we were. Yes, uh, when we did uh, mm. uh, our last episode, and it's like you mentioned, uh, and and again, like this is the year, like right after this protest in 2017, which you know ma many people look on uh, with hope uh, and thought, you know, okay, this time maybe we will be rid of Maduro, but when when that failed and basically the you know government managed to quash. Right. The, the protest and many people respond by fleeing uh, the country, mm. myself and, included, and and that was a terrifying, like really not just the humanitarian but the refugee crisis with millions of people living in Venezuela. And I also want to specify for people who might not know, you know, they hear inflation or hyperinflation, and they're like, mm. well, you know, that like inflation happens everywhere. It's it's normal, <laughs> and it's even you know when you don't have inflation, it might be a, a bad thing in some cases, and. Obviously, uh, the situation in Venezuela and hyperinflation in general essentially means that money has no value. 
Um, yes. and, and you have to constantly try and, and inflate the value of the money or, or you know, uh, uh, change the value of the money for people to... Because you can imagine a country where there is essentially no money, things break down. <laughs> Um, and, and the breaking down of the society is what was happening uh, in, in 2017 when we spoke. Uh, I, I, I exaggerate maybe a little bit saying there's no money, but we're not so far from that. Yeah, I think that's pretty close. And, and to put it in terms, uh, I think healthy inflation in the country is considered to be 1% to 2% inflation annually, or maybe not too far from that figure. In Venezuela last year, we had 1 million percent inflation. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and this, this is just like a mind, no, a mind blowing number. I don't think like even if I say that numbers, it's not easily, it's not easy to grasp the scale. Right. But basically, what this means is that prices are rising by maybe ten percent every day, uh, which means you know if you have money on the bank, uh, a few days later that money is only worth half its value and uh, like at a couple of weeks later yeah it's a half its value and a month later it's basically worthless so basically people cannot save at all if you have any money at all you have to spend it basically immediately because it, it loses value by the minute uh and again like wage weeks cannot really keep up with with the rise in prices so mm. basically what what hyperinflation does is you know cut them like 90, 95% of the population to, to poverty and also to, to give a, 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 to give dimension to the crisis. Uh, what people can buy with, with a minimum wage salary in Venezuela. And again, like maybe 80% of the people, uh, earn, earn minimum wage or pretty close to minimum wage salary because mm. you know like companies cannot really afford to <laughs> to pay anymore than that this only buys around uh, 700 calories a day of food mm. so even if you spend all your money on food even if you don't have to pay rent even if you don't buy any clothes even if you you know all your income goes to food you can only buy maybe half or less than half of the calories that that you need to to eat. So as a result, uh, for example, in uh, in 2018, uh, most Venezuelans lost about uh, 10 kilos of weight. Mm. So what we're seeing is basically famine. Uh, I don't know if I mean I don't know if we cross the line of what a mass starvation. Uh, what we could call mass starvation because I think it has a very precise definition for the UN. But the the fact is that just yes, like like malnourishment is is now rampant across Venezuela, mm. and you know th this is you know this is bad for grandmas, but this is especially terrible for children. Of course, especially yeah. you know children that are malnourished in the you know in the very in the first years of their life, you know they they develop. Permanent deficit. These are kids, you know, the, mm. we, we call them the, the children of Maduro. These are children that even if the situation in Venezuela changed, they they suffered malnourishment during their early years. So they're going to grow with physical deficits or even mental deficits. Mm. So so really, it's just, yeah. just a horrible, horrible humanitarian crisis. So I guess now people who didn't realize, maybe they understand more why we're talking about uh, uh, 
you know, uh, uh, humanitarian crisis and mass immigration mm. and all of that. Um, okay, so we finally caught up. Uh, I guess people mm. don't need to listen to the old episode <laughs> after all. Um, we're, we're finally caught up. Uh, what's happened since? For me, uh, I'm not even going to try and tell you what I know because it <laughs> would take like half a second and you would laugh. But um, what's happened since? Can you, can you tell us? Okay, well, um, on 2018, basically two main things uh, happened. I mean, on, 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 basically it was like a bad situation getting worse. And the two milestones were that there was this international process to, to try to have, uh, you know, the, the Maduro regime negotiate with the, with, with the, the democratic forces, uh, like given uh, basically a, a last attempt at a at 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 peaceful resolution to, to the crisis. Uh, but, you know, Maduro did what, what he has done in basically every negotiation attempt or every, every dialogue attempt. Uh, every time there's pressure on the regime, like in 2014 or in 2017, he calls for dialogue. Uh, he says, okay, so this opposition, uh, you know, they're backed by the US, they are violent. They won't even, you know, try to talk. So, so he calls for dialogue and the democratic forces, okay, say, okay, let's go and talk. But he always, always approach negotiations in bad faith. He doesn't really go to the table with the, with the intent, you know, to, to basically give anything uh, away because, mm. you know, he's, he's a totalitarian all, almost by definition. He, he cannot really share power. Yeah. Uh, because you know he, his his political structure will come tumbling down like like a house of cards. He cannot really live with checks and balances. Uh, so basically, he brings nothing uh, to the table. He just uses negotiation as a stalling tactic to to buy time. And and you know it, it has come to like recently things like uh, in the 2016 there was a negotiation in which the the Vatican tried to intervene. And very recently, Pope Francis uh, leaked a personal letter saying to Maduro, uh, because Maduro is calling for negotiations again right now and mm. asking the Vatican to intervene. And the Pope wrote a personal letter saying, you know, we had negotiations in 2016 and basically you fulfill nothing of what you agreed to. Mm. Uh, so the implied thing is, how can you expect me you know, to, to, be, to negotiate mm -hmm. with you or be a mediator when basically you, you already proved you're not trustworthy? And again, we have like a, a very important negotiation or attempted negotiation at 2018. But basically what the Maduro regime did was try to blackmail democratic forces and, you know, try to kidnap the family of opposition or democratic politicians and say, okay, you know, try, you, not, you, you need to agree to, to my conditions or, or I will harm your family. Uh, But thankfully, you know, the, 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 the I mean, negotiations failed. Basically, Maduro tried to force the opposition or the democratic forces to, to accept his conditions, which basically say, I'm going to exaggerate a little bit here, but it's not far to the truth. Maduro is the eter eternal emperor of Venezuela forever. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, basically they, they didn't go along uh, with that. Uh, but then what happened is that uh, Maduro then, held a new presidential election because his term is due or was due to end at the beginning of 2019, so just a month ago. Uh, so, so, you know, there, uh, there was a need for new presidential elections to be held. 
So Maduro held them, but you know they, they were a complete sham. And ju just to make sure, basically he barred all all democratic force politicians from from even running. Uh, at this moment, like most most uh, you know politicians uh, are not in Maduro party. Most of them are in exile, or most of them are in jail, mm. or most of them are you know like barred from from holding office or for or for running on on bogus charges. Uh, so, so this was an election that was, you know, a complete sham. When, when was that? When was the election held? When was the uh, uh, the campaign and then the actual voting? Uh, this was in May, which is also unusual because presidential elections are usually held, you know, in November or December, for for you know, like a few months before the 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 end of the presidential term. But these were actually held in May. And, you know, th there's really no justification for doing that. But the reason, you know, uh, Maduro did it is that, uh, you know, the, 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 the situation of the country is just keeping uh, getting worse by the month. So, you know, he thought like, OK, maybe I'll, I still have a little bit of popularity and it will be easier <laughs> to get at least some votes mm. in May as compared to in December. <laughs> right. OK. Um, so that was in May last year. Uh, and what yes. happened during the election? Okay, well, basically, what happened during the—I mean, before during uh, before the election, uh, basically, most democratic countries of the world, uh, including most Latin American countries and most European countries, say, you know, you you cannot hold elections <laughs> in these conditions. These are not free and fair elections. You have no uh, electoral observation at all, no international observation at all. So, mm. so, so these elections are just a sham. And they say to that. To Maduro, even before he holds the election, he goes and holds the elections anyway. And of course, no one recognized the results of, of these elections. You know, everyone says this is a sham. This is not a valid election. So from that point on, because, you know, Maduro held the sham election and, and he controls the Supreme Court in an illegal uh, manner. Basically, there's the, uh, uh, there is the beginning of an international consensus around Congress. And basically saying, okay, so Congress is the only remaining institution in Venezuela that was democratically elected and to legitimate. Okay. And this is important for what happens next, which is, you know, what happens at the beginning of this year, which, which is when, you know, everything begins developing very quickly. So, yeah. Okay, I'll just let you keep going because I'm not going to contribute anything uh, clever. So, uh, okay. So what happens in, uh, yeah. So 2019, which is, uh, especially like January the 10th. Wait, sorry. When, so, when was the, uh, parliamentary, uh, part of it again? Sorry, the, the Congress or parliament? Yes. The, the Congress. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's in, uh, in, in, in Venezuela, it's called uh, a National Assembly, but I'm just going to call it Congress for okay. <laughs> to make it easier sure. for everyone to follow, <laughs> uh, or Parliament. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically, uh, in, in uh, January 10th, Maduro's term ends, his previous term ends, and basically, international community says there was no valid election, so now the, the office of the president in Venezuela is, is vacant. And what happens then is that Congress says, indeed, the office of the president is, is vacant uh, because there was no valid election. There is a person who is usurping power, who holds the office of the president de facto by force, but he's not the legitimate president. 
And okay. there's so an I, article of the... Sorry, yes? Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I, I, I see where this is going, but keep going. I'll, I'll address it afterwards. Okay, so there's an article in the Venezuelan Constitution, Article 233, that says that in the event that the president-elect is not able to 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 access office or to 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 be sworn into the office of the president, in this case, the speaker of the Congress should become the caretaker president and call for elections within 30 days. So the Constitution doesn't specifically say what happens if the current president steals the election or holds a sham election. But most people interpret this article to mean to say that if there's no valid president uh, at the time, then the Speaker of Congress is is empowered to uh, assume the mantle or or be sworn in as as president, just as a stopgap measure for for a limited time until new elections can be can be held. So this and is that's precisely where, what, yeah, yes, what, and this what? is where Juan Guaido comes yeah. in. So. Juan Guaido, he was elected a congressperson in, in 2015. He was part of this election. But uh, the, the role of Speaker of Congress in Venezuela uh, changed every year. Internally, every year they name a new, a new congressperson to, to be the speaker. And at the beginning of the year, he was named speaker. Up to this point, he was not very well known inside of Venezuela. He was more of the kind of person who, who works, you know, behind the scenes. And part of the reason he was elected speaker is that most of the other senior congressmen are now, again, in exile in, or, or in prison. So, so basically, he's the only one who's junior, left. Yeah, there is no one who's left. So, so this more junior uh, congressperson assumes the role of speaker. And then becomes president. Basically, there's a ceremony mm. on the on the January 23rd, which is also an important date for Venezuela, because when we had the dictatorship around 50 years ago, it was on January 23rd that we were free of this of this dictatorship that the dictator fled the country. So the speaker chose this date to basically uh, convene uh, convene the, the people and have the national assembly name in and swearing in as, as the, the caretaker president of Venezuela and to, you know, the, the legitimate president of Venezuela instead of Maduro. Mm. So I guess there are two, uh, there's one point and one question I have. The, the main point of contention for the legitimacy of the Maduro presidency is whether or not the elections were valid, uh, the ones from May yes. 2018 at this point. Yes. Um, the pro-Maduro people say, we had an election, what are you talking about? <laughs> we, we have a president, F off. And the anti-Maduro people are saying the elections aren't valid, so we need to invoke that article uh, something 3-3. Um, and, and, and the person actually uh, uh, pretending to be, to be president shouldn't be. Um, I'm curious though, Congress still has the power to enact that article and decide that Juan Guaido is uh, uh, to be made president. Uh, I, I, I can't remember how you called it, but basically making sure that the transition can happen. The Congress yes. still exists enough <laughs> that it can decide okay. something like that. I mean, the, the situation right now is that you mentioned we have like a de facto government 
and uh, the jure or, or legitimate government. And indeed, I mean, Congress still exists in the sense that at least some members, again, are in exile or in prison, but at least most of the members are still free. They are, you know, they're still have access to to the 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 the, the building where where Congresses uh, usually holds office or holds sessions. Uh, so basically, I mean, in, in a sense, you know, it's uh, it's it's crazy that we're essentially talking about <laughs> these kinds of things. Like, do they have physical access to the 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 chambers of Congress? It's kind of, I don't know. We're we're so comfortable in our democracies in in the Western <laughs> world that talking about these kinds of things seem like the plot of some historical novel or film. You know, it's. It's it it seems outside of our reality, but sorry, it's just one thought that crossed my mind. So okay, they still have access to it, and they can hold Congress. Okay, so the, the, they can hold Congress, but this is basically like anything that Congress Maduro does. Uh, sorry, anything that the Congress does, basically Maduro ignores it. And since you know Maduro has control of the armed forces, has control of the national police. Basically, they uh, they do whatever they want, and and Congress they have no they have no weapons, <laughs> they have no military. So basically, yeah, they can they can you know uh, issue issue rulings, issue decrees, but this is basically has has no real power inside of Venezuela because you know by, by now Venezuela is a dictatorship, and and basically what, what there is no rule of law, there is rule of military power. But I'm, I'm curious. Yes. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll ask after. But but what's what's really made the difference here is that Congress is the one that's recognized internationally. So right. basically, Congress has no power inside Venezuela, but is starting to gain power outside Venezuela. Well, it's the opposite in inside mm. of Venezuela, inside of Venezuelan territory. Go ahead. So. Why do you think he didn't essentially dismiss Congress? Why did he not, I don't know, destroy the building or uh, declare that Congress didn't need to exist? Was that one step too far for his own uh, uh, illusion of democracy? Or Yes, uh, I the... think so too. I mean, you, you, you basically said, how is it possible that, you know, like people outside Venezuela, some people still defend this government? And, and I think part of the reason is that Maduro has been very careful, careful to do things one step at a time, and sometimes he misses steps. But for example, uh, there, there's a president in Venezuela when uh, I think I, I may be mistaken here, but I think it was Fujimori in Peru in the in the 80s or 90s. He mm -hmm. was a, a dictator, but he wanted to you know maintain the facade of democracy. But at some point, he just like dismissed Congress. But you know, in a very blatant manner, like I, I don't know, if he destroyed the building, but but he imprisoned most of Congress. You know, mm. he was very, very clear about dismissing Congress, and mm -hmm. you know, this was a tipping point, and you could say that this was the beginning of his downfall. So of course, Maduro has this in mind, and mm. and you know, he doesn't want to push his hand too far, too fast. So like openly dismissing Congress, openly imprisoning most of Congress, instead of you know, like one or two people at the time. He thought that it may trigger 
and an and international backslash. So his, you know, his policy has been okay. Like I'll take it one step at a time. I will erode democracy one step at a time, very slowly. So mm. there's no no one event that you know, uh, you know, causes causes you know a stronger international reaction. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess that makes sense. If if he was if he did actually quote unquote destroy Congress it would be mm. even more difficult for his international supporters to support him uh, because he still has some. All right, so we're in this situation where essentially the country has two presidents now. Uh, and I'm guessing he was, uh, Juan Guaido became interim president at the beginning of the year, but we knew that was going to happen for months. What, how, was, how were things evolving from, uh, you know, maybe a few weeks after the election that was a sham to the end of the year, knowing that this was going to happen? How is the country uh, uh, now? Uh, how are things in the country now? Okay, well, to answer the, f- the first question, I mean, uh, you said we knew this was going to happen, but... To be honest, there was no certainty at all. Oh, okay. Uh, basically, what most of us thought was going to happen is, yeah, like Maduro held a sham election, uh, held a sham election, but you know he's a dictator; he rules by force. No one is going to care. He's just going to continue steamrolling Congress, and and there was, you know, there was no no certainty at all whether you know Congress was going to invoke this or or not. Uh, because you know it's it's, it's 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 a dangerous play in in particular it's it's a very dangerous play for for everyone who decides to assume the mantle of, of caretaker president uh and indeed uh right before right before he was sworn in as as president uh Guaido was kidnapped by the maduro forces uh for a couple of hours oh, really? uh, we don't know we don't know why why they release him. Yeah, they are arresting him like in in bogus charges or they. Well, at, at at this at this point of time, you know, the Maduro forces don't even care about bogus charges. They just like kidnap or arrest people, and if necessary, they come up with some charges later. But what was in a sense unusual is that when the Maduro regime kidnapped Guaido, this was a terrible thing. But for most Venezuelans, this is business as usual, you know, like right. the, the dictatorship doing their thing, just like they do in Cuba. Uh, so what was unusual is that they actually released him. But so, why? So something, huh? Why? We, we can only speculate. Mm. And, and probably uh, part of the reason is that, as I mentioned before, since, since last year, most countries, most democratic countries, uh, recognize uh, the the Congress as the only legitimate institution in the in the in the country. So probably what happened at the time is that some people in the Maduro regime were a little bit overeager, or they thought they could score points within the regime by kidnapping Guaido. But some other forces within the regime realized, okay, you know, if we do this, the, the international reaction is going to be too strong. This is going to create a backlash. So this is, you know, like going going too far too fast and decided right. to, to release him. Okay. And this brought us something that's very important, but also I think has brought a lot of misunderstandings in the international community, but, which is like international recognition. Because as, as soon as, well, not as soon as, but so Maduro becomes, sorry, Guaido becomes caretaker president. 
And he is immediately, well, not immediately, sorry again, but he is recognized by over 50 nations in the world as the legitimate president of Venezuela. Mm -hmm. So this includes most of Latin America, this includes most of Europe, but also includes a little bit controversially the, the United States. Right. This and and Trump was one of the first uh, 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 presidents to recognize uh, Guaido, which actually might have helped uh, other push other countries in that direction. Um, but yeah, that that I think most people do know. Okay. Well, in in a sense, yes, but I think it's a little bit more subtle than than that. In the sense that there there was this this period between the 10th of January and the 23rd of January, in which it was not clear whether Guaido was Kurt Turkey president or not, because Maduro's terms ended and the constitution says uh, that the speaker becomes president, but he has not actually been sworn in. Uh, but during this period of time, Many Latin American countries and also the Organization of uh, American States, uh, the OAS, uh, there are several entities that were already given their support to Guaido, or even saying we recognize him as the as the new legitimate authority uh, of mm. Venezuela. So my point is that yes, U.S. recognition wa was of course important. But it's not like the U.S. recognized first and then everyone else <laughs> fell in line. There yeah. was already strong recognition for, for from from many important countries even before the the, the U.S. the U.S. did. Okay. Um, okay. So we're going to come back to what's happening now, but I do want to ask you know an update on what we were talking about earlier. You know the hyperinflation, the uh, military power in the country when we did the last episode, it was kind of chaos, and we didn't know what was actually going to happen to the country. Has mm. inflation stabilized? Like, it can go on for, for years, hyperinflation. <laughs> uh, what is the situation for, for uh, people actually living there now? What is the day-to-day -day situation, to the best of your knowledge? Okay, well, I, I still have family in France of Venezuela, so, so I'm, you know, pretty... Uh, clear on the situation, and and mm. and you know it's it's it, it, it's it's hard to to talk about it in terms of of getting across, but it's just you know a, a bad situation getting worse and and worse, uh, and you know people having less and less to go on like every every day, uh, and in a sense you know like since Venezuela was a country that suddenly collapsed, people have. Uh, had savings of some sort, maybe not savings in money, but savings in they had a car, they had clothes, or they had family heirlooms. So what happens in what has happened in the in the past few you know like few years is that people are are holding on 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 the face of this like sudden you know outbreak of poverty or sudden poverty by basically like you know like selling clothes to pay for medicine or or selling their car. Uh, or, or you know, selling their apartment and moving to our room, et cetera, et cetera. So people are basically desperately using all their resources to to stay alive, to 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 eat. Uh, but this is quickly running out. I mean, like people are basically at, at the end of of the rope. Uh, 
Uh, is there and, is know, there food entering the country? Like, is there medicine coming in? How does the country pay for it? Is it aid? Uh, is there humanitarian aid? How is... Because you say, you know, they sell they ca their car to buy food. Who do they sell the car to? What what uh, uh, food do they, is there uh, agricultural an agricultural industry in the country I guess which can create a little bit of food what's uh, uh, the, the the picture you're painting is so apocalyptic mm. I'm kind of picturing a little bit of uh, 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 you know almost a, I'm exaggerating of course but kind of a Mad Max world like you have okay. to hunt what you what you want to eat Okay, we're not quite there yet, but, but okay. it, 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 it is, it is. I mean, a little bit post-apocalyptic or apocalyptic. <laughs> uh, in, in a sense, I mean, in, in, in Venezuela, you, you go to a street and you will always see uh, crowds of people roaming around looking for trash. So they can roam in the trash and find something to eat in the trash. Mm. Uh, this is, you know, this is you know, very, very disturbing to see, but it, it happens uh, a lot. Uh, you see, you know, like people dying in hospitals from from easily treatable diseases, like people dying because there's no antibiotics or there's no no medicine for for tension. Uh, so so people yes are are dying from easily treatable diseases. And again, what's what's happened is that you know like people are are are, are holding on by going without, like eating only one or two meals uh, a day. And basically, also what's what's uh, sustaining the economy is what we now call the Venezuelan diaspora, which is uh, what I mentioned. Like we had mass migration over the past few years, and since Venezuelan currency is so it's so worthless now, uh, people who have gone to other countries, if they can find you know a decent job, they can they send money back to Venezuela. And this is also how, how lots of people who are still in Venezuela survive. But basically, when it comes to, to production, yeah, like there's still some production left in Venezuela, but not nearly enough to, to feed the country. And also the Maduro government, I mean, basically uh, trading oil money for food, sells oil and used to, to buy food, but apart from a corruption scheme, And uh, he has created something that's called clap boxes, C-L-A-P, which are boxes of food that he distributes to to people. And for, for a lot of people, this is the only source of food they have. And this food is usually is, is, you know, it's not enough. It's usually contaminated. It's usually like rejects from other countries. But Maduro is giving this as a way, basically, as I mean, a social control. Yeah. And... And basically pressure people into saying, you know, I'm going to hold a demonstration, so you should come up in support of Maduro or we will take your, your food box away. <laughs> hmm. Okay, and that's been the situation uh, slowly getting there from uh, when we last spoke in 2017. Yes, and also something that's important, as you mentioned, humanitarian aid and most international bodies recognize that there's a, a, a humanitarian crisis in the country uh, and they have offered to send humanitarian aid, but basically Maduro has refused to receive any humanitarian aid and, and basically he, he denies that there's a humanitarian crisis in the country. He claims that this is all 
a lie, a lie created by right-wing media. <laughs> mm. What's happening with the inflation? Has the, the value uh, of the money stabilized or is it still in a free fall? No, no, no. It's, no, it's, it's still in, in free fall. I mean, we had 1 million percent inflation last year and I think we're going to have, I mean, if, if nothing changed, probably 10 million percent inflation this year. And what happened is basically what you say, there's basically there's no money in the country anymore. So people are either resorting to to trade. For example, you know, I have two packs of spaghetti, so I will trade you one by a pack of beans, mm. <laughs> this kind of thing. Or also the, the economy has become de facto dollarized. Uh, and de you facto know, like what, for, sorry? Dollarize, yeah. The, oh, using right, the right. US so they use foreign currency, currency and dollars, yeah. Using yeah. foreign currency, uh, and mm. and as for for a few years now, like any any important uh, operation, like for example selling your car, or or yeah, like selling your car, no one will do it in Bolivar. That would be crazy because you know you say a price, of course, yeah. and then you know two days later you have to use like a different price, <laughs> and is is you know also like Venezuelan money, as I mentioned, you get it, you have to spend it right away. But this makes no sense if, you know, if you're get, going to get a large quantity like a car. So for a while now, sales of cars, sales of apartments have been you know, done in U.S. dollars. Of course, this is all off the books because the Venezuelan government won't recognize you know, anything that's, that's transacted in, in U.S. dollars. So this was so, a situation. Uh, so wait, a few how, years how ago? does it yes. how does it work then? Do do people actually have dollar bills, physical dollar bills, or do they have like different bank accounts in in different currencies? Uh, do you know how that works, or are you not sure? Okay, no, yes, basically, yes. Some people do have like like effect, yeah, like cash, like U.S. cash. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna use for for that, but other people they have international bank accounts and. Probably, you know, if, if you live like in, in a normal country, you probably only have a bank account in the country you live in. But for most Venezuelans, it has become a necessity to have a, a, a US, a bank account that's denominated in US dollars. So I'm not going to say everyone, but like a lot of people, especially, you know, if you want to buy a car or you want to, to sell an apartment, then mm. you need to have a, a, a US bank account. And that means, you know, an, an, okay. a, a bank account that's outside of the country. So the the, the uh, Venezuelan cur currency, the bolivars, uh, yes, is is being abandoned. Uh, yes, for, for it's most basically being mm. being abandoned. And as I mentioned, this was a situation uh, a couple of years ago. But now, like let's say late 2018, even for smaller transactions, like you know buying groceries, then people are using dollars. You know, they right. they have like one dollar bill or uh, you know cents. And they use that, you know, as, as currency. So mm -hmm. as I, we call this like de facto dollarization of the economy. I mean, the, the government or the Maduro regime still, you know, tries to 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 make people use the Bolivar. But in fact, it's now worthless. And now people are, are using the, the dollar informally as, as means of trade, as mm -hmm. means of, of holding value. Okay. Um, all right. So... I guess the final part of the discussion is what is is happening now. What's been happening since uh, Guaido was named president uh, and he was recognized. And where do you think it's going to go? I don't know if we can speculate, but 
Yeah, are are people hopeful? Is the situation devolving further into chaos? How is Maduro uh, reacting beyond what we see in in uh, uh, outside media? What do you think? Okay, uh, so yes, I think so. People are hopeful. I mean, it, it is. I think for for after a long time of like maybe one or two years where people were basically hopeless, people are hopeful that that there may this may be the 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 one time that we uh, get rid of Maduro. For most people, we, we believe this may be our last opportunity. Uh, it's, it's now or never. Also, when talking about humanitarian aid, uh, there are about uh, 300,000 Venezuelans that had been identified as in danger of, uh, of dying pretty soon if, if they don't get access to humanitarian aid because uh, either because of diseases or because of extreme malnourishment. Uh, so for more, for most people, it's like now or never. On the other hand, you know, Guaido is very realistic. He says, I, I'm, I'm the de jure president, I'm the caretaker president, but, but you know, we, we are in a dictatorship. <laughs> uh, the Maduro controls, controls the military. So the roadmap for Guaido, he has a roadmap with three points, which are, one, end of usurpation. Basically, this means, you know, Maduro has to go away. Uh, two, have a transitional government that can bring some measure of order to the to the country. And number three, of course, have uh, fair and free elections because, you know, Guaido is only a caretaker president. He wants to, to hold elections as, as soon as possible. And basically, internally, what's going to to be the the, the deciding factor is you know the, the military uh, i mean uh, mm. maduro has the support of the military and has the support of the top generals uh, in the country basically because you know the, the military has been corrupted uh, almost completely uh, all i mean it's been 20 years since chavez uh, came to power so he has you know he has had time to basically uh, uh, turn the turn the the military into his personal uh, into his personal, yeah, personal force, and this also uh, with regards to Maduro, but also a way that Maduro keeps the military in line is by using money. Uh, so if Maduro runs out of resources to pay the military, we, we don't know what, what will happen, but also like the generals are, are, are being paid off handsomely, but as you go to the middle ranks or the, or the lower ranks, you know the, the military is, is is you know suffering through the same things that the, that the rest of the country is is, mm -hmm. is suffering. So basically, what what Guaido is, is I mean he's trying to do many things at once, but once that's crucial is trying to make a, a, a plea for the military to switch sides. Basically, the 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 only thing that holds Maduro in power is the military by force. So if if the military defects. Or, or 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 even if the military declares themselves neutral and they say, okay, we, we're not going to, for example, uh, kill people anymore or repress mass demonstrations anymore, then then you know Maduro will will have no no option then mm -hmm. to flee. So, but so far, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen with that. I mean, at, at the top, of course, generals keep saying uh, we we recognize Maduro, we're strong with with Maduro. And there's been some defections on the military, but not mass defections just yet. So, so we don't know what's going to happen with that. 
But on the international front, uh, interesting things are happening. And as, as a result of all these countries recognizing uh, Guaido, basically Guaido has become a process of taking control of Venezuelan assets. And of course, you know, this makes sense. You know, if, for example, uh, Europe says, okay, the, 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 you know, the legitimate rec uh, government is Guaido, then it makes no sense. That if you buy Venezuelan oil, then you go and pay Maduro, because mm -hmm. you're saying the legitimate owner of this or the the, the legitimate caretaker, the, the legitimate administrator of Venezuelan oil is Guaido. <laughs> so if we are buying Venezuelan oil, then uh, then it should you know the proceeds should go to uh, to the Guaido administration. Right. Uh, so, so to an account so that Guaido has it, again, it's kind of like you know, do you have physical access to Congress? It's like yes. who has the login code to the account that holds the money that uh, the 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 people buying the oil are sending the money to? And if, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so if Guaido or you know his aides or whatever has the the right password, then they can use the money to redistribute or fund their initiatives and whatever. Um, mm. so yeah, it's, it really comes down to that, I suppose. Yeah. It, it, it really comes to down to, you know, like facts on the ground. <laughs> mm. Uh, so yeah. So again, like what's happening right now is that in Venezuela, Maduro still controls the oil industry, has physical control of the institutions, but basically he's having trouble send, selling that oil to, to, to everyone. I mean, he has a few allies left that haven't recognized Guaido, that recognize Maduro, mm. namely, Russia, China, uh, Cuba, North Korea, uh, Turkey. Uh, so basically, he, he's now trying to redirect oil sales to them, but it's, it's, it's not easy. Mm. And also, there have already been instances where, for example, the Venezuelan state uh, held, for example, gold reserves or, or foreign accounts overseas. And there have been cases where Maduro is trying to to, for example, repatriate this money or make use of this money. And international institutions are saying, no, no, we don't recognize you as the owner of these accounts anymore. Mm. Uh, so you are not allowed to, to move them. Uh, in some cases, they're giving control to Guaido. In other cases, they're being, you know, they're taking a middle ground and say, we're not going so far as to give control to someone else. But we're not giving control to Maduro either, so so they're they're frozen until until we see what happens. Mm. And I guess in these situations, uh, either it can put enough pressure on uh, the person that is quote unquote the usurper or the dictator because yes. they don't have enough money to pay off the generals that still support him, uh, or it can lead to. A continued, I guess it can't really get much worse, but the continued crisis because there isn't even the money to pay for those food boxes <laughs> anymore. Mm. Um, and I'm sure he can say, you know, because of the international pressure to institute this false president, I don't have money to send you food, and that's why you're starving even more. So, yeah, what do you think is going to happen? Okay, so, well, of course, it's very hard to say. What's going to happen? Basically, it's, it's, a, it's a standoff situation right now. So, yeah. is whether uh, you know, is whether can the Maduro government hold into hold power? And there's a, a big parallel. I think I mentioned this on the previous podcast, but uh, basically, like the, I mean, uh, Cuba is a is a big advisor to the Maduro regime 
or or even if you go further, uh, Cuba is really which the 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 regime in control of Venezuela. Uh, you could say mm. that Maduro is basically a puppet <laughs> regime to to Cuba. This sounds like a harsh thing to say, but ask any Venezuelan and. Most of them, if you ask them, does Cuba call the shots in Venezuela? They say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are who they are really calling the shots. And basically, the advice of Cuba to to Venezuela is say, you know, hold on. Uh, you have the force. You have the military in Cuba. You know, we have a we had a time after the after the Soviet Union collapse where we have no money and we managed to hold into power by force. Mm-hmm. So, so so try try to try to do that. And you know Maduro has, has things that he's he's you know he's trying to do, and as I mentioned, like uh, he's starting to run out of money, but also this may start to to create problems not only for him but for most of Venezuelan population. So so I, I think he's going to try to 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 play that off, and also uh, public opinion is is like international public opinion is something that he's going to try to. To manipulate, and and in a sense, I I'm not I don't want to say that it's working, but he is already trying to do that. And one of the ways that Maduro is reacting is like I mentioned, like so wait, what what is he? Work. What is he? How is he trying to spin it? Is he trying to say that the Guaido is? I mean, he is trying to say that Guaido is an is not the legitimate uh, uh, president or holder of the power. But it's just that, right? That's what he's trying to say. Well, he's also trying to spin it as saying that this is an U.S. back coup. I mean mm. that basically Guaido is a U.S. operative, and that what's happening in Venezuela is the U.S. government trying to remove a legitimate government and trying to install a, a right-wing government or a government that is, you know, uh, uh, loyal to U.S. interests. So they will give Venezuelan oil to the U.S. And in light of everything that we just said, this may sound ridiculous, but lots of people, lots of important people are, are buying it, much to, much to my disappointment. Mm. Uh, we, I have even seen you know, U.S. senators uh, buy the Maduro regime line and you know, say like the U.S. should not anoint a new leader in 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 a troubled country, which is not what happened. So mm. to recap, basically Maduro wants to play this as like something as U.S. intervention versus a legitimate government, or U.S. intervention versus the people, or left wing versus right wing, and of course, you know, I mentioned the U.S. among Another 50 countries supported Guaido, which means Trump supports Guaido. And not a lot of people know about Venezuelan politics, but a lot of people uh, know about U.S. politics and they hate <laughs> Trump. Mm. So basically the reasoning says, OK, if Trump does something, it must be bad. <laughs> and mm. if Trump is supporting some guy that I never heard of in Venezuela, this is probably a, a, a bad guy. Mm. So, so sadly... Uh, this line of thinking and this kind of, of information warfare is is I don't want to say it's working, but I've seen it's it's, it's working on some people. Hopefully, mm. a minority. Hopefully, people will will you know investigate, uh, find reliable sources and, and find out. But but yes, Maduro is trying to 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 try to paint this in in a light that. 
you know, if, if not favors him, because at, at this moment, you know, it, it's very hard to, to be for the Maduro regime, but try to say that there are two forces in conflict and that we should try to solve this by dialogue and negotiation and especially not by U.S. intervention, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I'm trying to look really hard for the credible uh, uh, part of the uh, criticism of the support of the U.S., it is not the first time that the U.S. would go into a country and give the oil market to its companies and maybe not care so much about the political situation. I don't think that's what's happening here, but I think there is this uh, 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 history for, that people can hold can hold on to uh, to justify the, the the what's happening now in you know the the vision they have of, of that support um so i think it's worth mentioning but uh, yeah certainly it doesn't seem like that is comparable in that sense no i, I mean you're you're absolutely right i mean history is there we cannot deny that that this happened that the us has a story of interventionism in, in Latin America, especially you know in the in the in the second half of the of the 20th century, but indeed uh, it's it's important to not look at what's happening now in Venezuela through the lens of that. And again, like sometimes it's uh, it's a little bit disappointing to see like over 50 countries supporting Guaido, but people only look at the U.S. Mm -hmm. or even you know something that's a bit uh, controversial is that. Uh, the United States has said that all options are on the table when it comes to to supporting Guaido, and not all. I mean, not only Trump said this, also the Colombian government and the Brazilian government, which are you know the governments that had frontiers with Venezuela, they mm -hmm. have also said this. But of course, people only pay attention to what Trump says, and you know this is a very controversial statement. I, I understand why. No one would like to see, you know, military intervention in in Venezuela. No one would like to see uh, U.S. troops uh, or any kind of international troops in Venezuela. But it's also important that this option is on the table. Uh, I think maybe the, the only reason that Maduro hasn't gone in and, and kidnapped or killed Guaido or, or members of, of Guaido's, uh, you know, fledging government is the fear, maybe not on the part of Maduro, but in the part of the soldiers that will actually have to go and execute those orders will be to say, OK, if we go and, and kill Guaido, then, the, you know, the U.S. will will send military military forces because that that's the only thing that they're afraid of. The only mm. thing that they're afraid of is, you know, actual actual military forces, foreign military forces, because you know there are there are people who 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 their only language, the only language they understand is the language of force. Mm -hmm. uh, so the threat of military action, I think, is 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 very important for for peaceful resolution. I think if if military action is completely off the table. Then, then Maduro will be, you know, will be sitting there comfortably, confident that that you know that he can weather this. Mm. There will be, you know, less reasons for for the military to defect soon because also we want to tend to defect soon because you know the, the situation is getting worse. By the way, so this may be ironical, but I think like the threat of military action is an important factor for this to have a peaceful resolution by. Uh, 
by having the military defect. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if 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 this is completely off the table, as as, as some people uh, want it to be, then I think counterintuitively, there there the chance for a civil war in in Venezuela and having, for example, the military split in two parts and and, yeah. and go to war okay. to each other. Actually, I think this actually increases. So so I know this is like a controversial part of of what's uh, happening. Uh, but but you know it's it's the facts and and I think it's important to like you mentioned take a look at the, at the whole picture. So this is not about a U.S. backed group. This is not about left wing versus right wing. This is not about U.S. sanctions crippling the the economy. And this is not about U.S. intervention. Uh, this is about you know a, a dictatorial regime. And you know, uh, uh, democratic forces that are trying to make Venezuela go free, and that they are supported by an international coalition. Hopefully, it won't come to international, like to any kind of military intervention. Mm. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> hope when we when we speak again in in a year or two, uh, that you know the 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 situation will have been resolved in a uh, in a peaceful manner, but. Uh, I, it seems so difficult to to get there. I don't know. Um, I mean, when you look at the situation, you think, yes, if the money runs out and uh, this and that, it should kind of uh, uh, collapse. The, the The Maduro regime should collapse. But we have so many examples of... Uh, of of regimes that managed managed to hold on, and especially since we have some countries that have interests in supporting these kinds of strongmen, um, they can kind of function in this closed ecosystem. And I don't know. Um, all right, I think we're we're kind of caught up. Um, you've explained a lot, and I think you've made things a lot more clear. Is there anything you want to add before we we conclude the show and and uh, hopefully uh, uh, head towards a, a, as I was saying a peaceful <laughs> resolution in in the next few months? Okay, well, uh, uh, yes, yeah, well, two things. Uh, you say a few months, but just uh, like in ten days, there's going to be a critical date. This is the February twenty third. Because right now there's also a standoff regarding humanitarian aid. Mm. Because basically the Maduro regime refuses any kind of humanitarian aid at all. But the Guaido uh, government says we need humanitarian aid urgently. Uh, so we're going to try and get humanitarian aid into the country. And this is also a little bit controversial in the sense that humanitarian aid usually if if the government of that country doesn't want humanitarian aid well humanitarian aid is not supposed to cause any kind of conflict it you know it should be like a, a very straightforward progress so what do you do in the case of a country that has two governments <laughs> and one of the governments wants humanitarian aid to enter the country and and desperately needs humanitarian aid to go in because as mm. i mentioned there are 300,000 Venezuelans who are, you know, in danger of dying in the next few weeks if mm. humanitarian aid doesn't enter the country. So what's happening right now is that most, or I, I, I don't want to say must because I, I don't have a picture of the fuel scope of humanitarian 
uh, organizations in the world, but some very important humanitarian organizations and also some countries are 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 hearing why those call for help. And right now on the borders of Venezuela, uh, in, especially in Colombia and in Brazil, where there are some humanitarian aid stations being set up, and basically humanitarian aid is is being sent there. Mm. But the big question is, how do we get this into Venezuela? And basically, Guaido right now is is organizing people and saying we are going to get this humanitarian aid in Venezuela, and and he's making basically, you could say it's a plea. Or you could say it's an order because he's the legitimate, you know, uh, uh, mm. head of state. An order to to military forces to say let this humanitarian aid go in. Uh, not all, not I mean, not only not only because uh, I want to do it, but because this is humanitarian aid that people desperately need. Even even your own family could be mm-hmm. in need of this of, of this aid. So please let the humanitarian aid in. Basically, he's saying. Do not obey Maduro's orders to, 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 to stop the humanitarian aid to go in. Let it go in. So, right, right, right. The, so he's, we don't know a, what's going to happen. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, I mean, you said there were... you could say it's a. I mean, it's it's a way to get humanitarian aid in Venezuela, but it's it's also it's also a, a power play. He's trying to to establish himself as as the leader uh, of the armed forces, or at least I, it's so hard to see how this doesn't. <laughs> there are so many ways that this c- can devolve into devolve into armed conflict. It's it's very frightening. Yeah, it's, it's 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 like you say. It's 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 also a way to at least undermine. The, the authority of, of Maduro to say, okay, if, if there are orders by Maduro that, you know, are, are, are too harsh or, 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 or too against the interests of, of the people, at some point the military will not respond. Mm. Uh, so, so, yes, and indeed, you know, this is also, you know, a, a little bit controversial. I mean, you could make the case that this humanitarian aid is desperately needed. We should make every effort to get in. You could also make the case that, you know, having humanitarian aid as part of something that could be, you know, regarded as a power play uh, is, 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 is right, is, is wrong. And, and you know, I, I, I can see both sides. Uh, but of course, you know, I, I'm a Venezuelan, uh, and I'm desperate for for there being a change in mm-hmm. regime. I'm desperate for for this humanitarian uh, aid to 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 go in. So you know, uh, I I completely agree with with everything that Guaido has done so far. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's hope things move in in the right way. Uh, thank you so much again. So for taking the time uh, to explain all of this to us and to give us the details, uh, is there any uh, resource you would recommend people check out or actually your Twitter account maybe might be <laughs> useful? Uh, where can people find you and find stuff that uh, would be useful to understand all of this? Yes, I mean, there's my, my Twitter account. These days I tweet mostly stuff about uh, Venezuela, of course. So uh, my Twitter account is E-S-A-U-L-G-D. I'll give you the link later so you can post it on the... It, it will be in the show notes. I have it. And the website. But there's also this, this great resource. There's this website called Caracas Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, I, I think I mentioned it in the previous episode. You did. Uh, they, they are a very reliable source on, on Venezuelan news. 
they have daily daily reports on what's happened in Venezuela. So if you want to follow the news in a day by day basis, they can they can help you with that. But they also, you know, have explainers. They have opinion articles, uh, predictions about what's going to happen. So if anyone wants to to follow the the Venezuelan crisis as it, as it unfolds in the in the next few days, and and hopefully it will it will be you know a few more days or or weeks. Uh, not not too long, not months. Uh, then this is a great resource, and it's all in English. It's all completely in, in English, so it's, it's it's easy for the non-Spanish speaking audience to follow. All right, thank you very much. Uh, for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and of course, uh, you know that you can find the show at Frenchspin.com. You can comment uh, uh, there if there are things that you want to add to this uh, conversation, uh, and if you enjoy the show. You can support it at patreon.com slash the Phoenix Club. This is the only uh, uh, way the show is funded. We don't have sponsors or anything like that. It's entirely funded and free and independent thanks to your support. So thank you. Thank you so much to those who uh, do support the show. If you choose to do that, uh, the link is in the show notes and uh, it's very easy to do. Very easy and quick. You know, Patreon not going to talk about this too much. So um, that's about it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks, I hope, with a regular episode. And uh, yeah, that that I'm, I'm a little bit uh, 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 shaken by all of this, but I hope we can do another one uh, in a few months or years and, and look back on this uh, with fond memories. I don't know. Uh, thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon. And thanks, Saul, for being on again. Bye.